I think it's safe to say we have a real mixed bag for you all today. We're really showing our range, aren't we? It's like um, we are like the $1 mixed bag of of lollies. You you don't know what you're going to get. No. We've got an unsolved mystery, Mm -hmm. corruption, Mm -hmm. and Pauline Hanson's knitwear. Yeah, no, we definitely have a range of topics uh, on the show today, but here we are. Anyway, let's get to it, shall we? Uh, Kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. A coroner's hearing into one of the strangest unsolved mysteries begins today. We also catch you up on a corruption scandal in Pakistan that saw the Prime Minister ousted and the internet shut down. And Australian politician Pauline Hanson has diversified her income streams in a rather unusual way. All of that is coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. The coroner will today begin a hearing into one of the most intriguing and harrowing unsolved mysteries in New Zealand's modern history. Back in 2015, 11-year-old Mike Zhao Beckenridge and his stepfather John Beckenridge disappears in a remote part of Southland. John Beckenridge's car was found two months later, having plunged into the ocean from a clifftop overlooking Curio Bay, but there was no sign of John or Mike themselves. Stuff's reporter Shannon Redstall has written a terrific piece for the website looking into the baffling circumstances around this case. And she's with us now. Kia ora. Morena. Shannon, this is a really strange story, this one. So maybe can you take us through what we know about this disappearance? Yeah, so it was in March of 2015 that Mike was picked up from his school in Invercargill by his stepfather, John, and they were essentially never to be seen again. There was just one farmer that saw them in this really remote area of some forest. They were camping out there, and then the next thing that was found was some mangled metal and Mike's backpack that washed up on a beach on that rugged Southland coastline. Uh, And then police divers a few days later managed to get into the water and say, hey, we think there's a car there. And slowly it was identified as the stepfather's blue uh, Touareg. So it took police divers almost two months uh, in a helicopter as well. They had to wedge this car out of the water. It was just so rough down there. There was almost no visibility. So the divers couldn't actually collect any evidence while the car was in the water. They had to wait until it was out. And by that stage, it was covered in seaweed and it was rusted. And so there was very little evidence that police were ever able to garner from that car. And other than that... There have been reported sightings, some overseas, of an older Caucasian male being with a younger uh, Asian boy, but none of those were ever substantiated. I believe there was huge help from international police agencies, but really there have been no confirmed sightings uh, since March of 2015. There's a bit of mystery around John Beckenridge himself as well, isn't there? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so he was an Australian national, but he was actually born in Sweden and as the days went on and everyone was frantically looking for this pair, it came out that he had a number of aliases. He had four different names that he was using. So he's John Beckenridge, legally. Then he also had John Locke, John Lund, 
Goran Roland Lund and John Bradford as well. And so police sent out this border alert saying if you see anyone by any of these names, then please, you know, let us know urgently. But he also had some helicopter experience. He had worked overseas um, in the Middle East and in Asia as well. So there was all of this speculation that maybe he had, you know, ordered a helicopter and then he'd flown it and he'd managed to get away you know, without using a traditional airport or anything like that. But again, there is no evidence. Police never found any evidence um, that we know of. We may hear from some today that they ever left Southland. So are these two like missing, presumed dead, or is that actually the thing that the coroner is being tasked with, with finding out? Yes, so they're still on the police missing persons list. So it is still technically a live investigation, but the first thing that Coroner Elliot needs to decide in this case after he's heard all this evidence is, is it likely, and that's the key word, likely that they are dead? And if they are dead, then the coroner does have jurisdiction to continue their investigation and decide what are the likely causes, what are the circumstances of that death, and then we will find out what they believe. Shannon Redstall, thank you so much for your time. I'm sure we'll chat to you again as this case goes on. See you later. Emil, there's some batshit crazy stuff going down in Pakistan at the moment. Yes, Imogen, there most certainly is. And you've been wonderful, and I've tasked you with explaining it to us. You certainly have. Thank you very much. <laughs> and just pulling resources, you know, just being e- efficient here. Um, so where shall we begin? Well, the logical place to begin, I suppose, is with the players in this. Uh, first off, Imran Khan, you're a cricket fan, Imo. Does that name ring a bell for you? Of course, the great Pakistani all-rounder of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and also one of the greatest mullets uh, in the history of the great sport that is cricket. That's a very good shot, yeah. Mm. A very well-mulleted sport. Um, yes, Pakistan, as we know, very cricket enthusiastic country and Imran Khan was a very famous cricketer for them. He was the captain when they won their first World Cup in 1992 and he was also, quite apart from his cricketing abilities, a very handsome, charismatic guy and so when he retired he became a politician. He formed his own party, PTI, in 1996 and he was actually pretty successful. He um, had kind of like a populist anti-establishment ideology and uh, in 2018 PTO was the biggest party in parliament and they formed a coalition government and Imran Khan was the prime minister and so like to give you a sense of perspective this is kind of like if Richie McCaw became the prime minister here in New Zealand. Okay so who are the other players? Well, there's one big one, really, and that is the military. So Pakistan has a very big and powerful military. It's a nuclear power, and it's a really substantial political force, the military. Pakistan's democracy is quite fragile. There have been many corrupt governments and military coups over the past 80 years. So historically, politicians have had to keep the military on side. Imran Khan did this pretty well early in his career, but when he became prime minister, he kind of broke away a bit and alienated some important figures in the army and last year he was ousted by a coalition of minor parties who withdrew their support from his government. I'm guessing he wasn't too happy about his uh, ousting. It's a good word. Ousting. Yeah, it is satisfying to say, isn't it? No, he wasn't happy. He claimed it was a US-backed plot because of the cooperation with China and Russia and uh, Imran Khan has been campaigning for early elections that he wants to run in, but uh, he can't run in them because he's been accused of corruption and banned from running for office. Ah. That old chestnut, yeah. That'd do it, eh? So is the corruption the reason why he got arrested? Yeah. So earlier in, in May, he got arrested by paramilitary troops 
with allegations of illegal transfers is the shorthand for it basically. This arrest was criticised by lots of international observers who felt it was kind of a little bit illegal. <laughs> um, and in the end, the Supreme Court agreed with him and released him on bail. Ah, so happy ending? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Uh, Imran Khan is convinced he's going to get arrested again relating to another corruption case, a completely separate one, and his supporters are very grumpy. Uh, they've been protesting en masse. Pakistan has a lot of people, and uh, the government has taken some pretty extraordinary lengths to quell these protests. First, it, sh- it banned a few social media sites, and then it shut down the internet for just, a while. Just yeah. hit the red button just and turn, delete. T- turn the tap off. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so that gives you a sense of how big a deal this this actually is. Is there any sense of a resolution on the horizon here? I, I doubt it. This looks set to go on for a while and who knows what might happen. So um, we'll keep an eye on it and keep you posted if there is any more movement. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. There's only one reason producer Jono would be on the line on a Monday morning. There is a lie. There are many reasons producer Jono would be on the line. No, but on a Monday morning, it's time to it's time to learn who won last week's Fun Fact Friday. Oh yes, my one was that the sand tiger shark is the only shark that we have scientifically proven farts. And mine was that Colonel Sanders, KFC King, once upon a time was a lawyer before branching into fried chicken, but he lost his job as a lawyer because he beat up his own client. In a courtroom with a chair. Solid fun facts there. Mm. And we put it on Instagram and the stuff website. There's a poll on both. So we've had to collate. Anyway, producer John, oh, come on. This was another week where one of you won Insta and one of you won the website. Okay. But the overall winner is Imogen Wells. Yeah. <laughs> but Emil, you did win Instagram. Interesting stuff. All right. Mm. Well, congratulations, Emo. Thank you very much. Good luck this week, Emil. Good luck. This competition has lost all credibility. (laughs) We all have our favourite wee local, right? I think I've mentioned it before. My favourite local is obviously the Welsh pub, but local can mean anything, Mm. right? It can mean cafe, bakery, fish and chippery, burger place. Yeah, I have a... A little pizza place around the corner from my place called Nomads, which oh, is like yeah. the comfort food. So if I've had a really terrible day, pizza at Nomads. Nomads. Pizza, beer, and truffle fry. Oh, mm. yeah, yum. Yeah. We've also got a really yummy bakery, Myrtle. I'd say it's Wellington's answer to daily bread. Oh, mm. that lives around, Yeah, that, that's around the corner. Uh, but Stuff is on a mission to find the best locals across the the country with the Love Your Local Awards. Yeah, it's a pretty simple idea. You can nominate somewhere and vote online and then ultimately some national winners will be picked. And it doesn't have to be the best food. It can just be a place with a community vibe. It's a community hub, has the best service, but also amazing food is obviously 
right up our alley and, yeah. and a main focus of what we, we tend to think of as a local. A community service in and of itself, in a sense. Mm. Uh, on the judging panel is Chef Peter Gordon, and Peter, very kindly, is with us now. Kia ora. Kia ora. Nice to be on the panel. First of all, I mean, what, what do you think makes a good local? Uh, I think as time evolves, it's sort of um, consistency, it's continuity, it's sort of having staff that are there that you see time and time again. It's the sort of place you want to walk into and they say, oh, hello, you know, do you want your usual table? Do you want your usual this? And it, it, it's, it's like a relationship, really. And, and really, that's what these awards are there, to sort of celebrate those who go above and beyond take an interest in their customers and, and look after you. And no doubt everyone will be wanting to get their local into the mix and, and win and be a part of the awards, but what are you looking for in the nominees? I'll be judging the finals, the national finals. So the regional uh, competitions are being judged by people who know these places because I can't, much as I would love to get on a plane and a bus and a car and travel around the country for four weeks checking everything out, that's sort of going to be impossible. So people who live in the regions will be judging that. And if you want to nominate your favourite place, you need to get out there and nominate it and then vote for it and get your mates to vote for it as well. But what we'll be looking for really is 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 consistency and goodness and kindness and um, all sorts of things because there are there are several categories there's the most uh, loved food truck or takeaway a place that doesn't have a lot of seats maybe it's a little bit mobile there's the most loved roadside stall and and when I think of that we've got a really fantastic um, fresh fruit ice cream place in Pihar that is is really good so it, it can be crayfish it could be ice cream it could be anything really uh the most loved barista i think as new zealanders we all know what coffee we want and we love it when we go to a place that we go to regularly and that barista knows exactly what you want you want your double shot flat white made with oat milk not too frothy that would be me uh your most beloved bartender or publican you know you go into the place and you have a particular cocktail or a particular beer and they just always manage to get it for you at the right temperature at school, just they're doing the job great. The most loved front of house um, person or team, I think that's, as someone who owns a restaurant, um, you know, that's what we try so hard to instill in our staff is just you've got to look after the customers. The customers are brilliant. You've got to look after them. And then the most loved new business. And that is that could be something that's been open less than 12 months Something that's making a big impact in your community. And because we're talking local here, it is where you, it's either going to be where you live or where you work. Um, so much as I could maybe nominate something in Christchurch and Wellington, I don't live there. So I'm voting local. I live in Wynyard Quarter um, in Auckland, and that's where I'll be sort of focusing my attention on. Peter Gordon, thank you so much for joining us. And you can find all the details on the Love Your Local Awards brought to you by Pure South Meats online at stuff.co.nz. It's one of my most favourite things ever. Uh-huh. It's great. It's it's great headline time. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Aruga. <laughs> Aruga. Today's headline, Pauline Hansen is auctioning exclusive knitwear to fund her racial discrimination defence. Knitwear. Knitwear that she she has knitted. She's knitting clothes and she's selling off the clothes to fund a racial discrimination defence. <laughs> she's, she's controversial, I think. Uh, Aussie politician is the is a, a very uh, factual description of her. She's auctioning off a range of jumpers and cardies that she knitted herself to pay for her legal defence because she is being sued by a fellow senator. A fellow senator? I don't know that. Yep, she told uh, Senator Marine Faruqi to piss off back to Pakistan and then instead of apologising 
doubled down and offered Senator Faruqi a lift to the airport. What? This is an elected official. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Faruqi uh, then accused Pauline of unlawful offensive behaviour. And I'm looking at the nitwear now on my screen. Yeah, there's a. Oh no. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I looked at this light blue jumper maybe half an hour ago and it was at <laughs> 500 Aussie dollars. It is now 730 quadrillion, quadrillion dollars. So I think it's safe to say people are taking the piss. I mean, that would be a hell of a team of lawyers that you could hire for that kind of cash. It's like she's made a jumper for every wiggle. Have you noticed that? Like all the different colours. We shall leave you on a very curious and inquisitive note, which is that uh, the reason that Pauline Hanson can knit things to then go on and sell is she learned how to knit when she was in jail in 2003 for electoral fraud. That's usable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, remember you can follow us on your favourite podcast player and do leave us a rating and a review. We haven't had any in a couple of days. Uh, it helps other listeners to discover the show and it gives us a wee chuckle when you write funny things. You can also follow us on social media to stay up to date on new episodes, behind the scenes content and all things newsable. Find us on Insta and TikTok. We're just newsable NZ. Newsable. News that's worth talking about. If you liked it and reckon it's also worth supporting, please make a contribution at stuff.co.nz support.